I'm Chris Nessie, host of Behind the Mic, Voices of the EPN, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Ken Rusk. Ken started off his working life with a shovel in his hand, digging ditches. Through hard work, perseverance, and careful planning, he built a multi-million dollar business, and he never went to college. Ken is the best-selling author of Blue Collar Cash, Love Your Work, Secure Your Future, and Find Happiness for Life. What an awesome conversation. What an incredible book. You're going to love this talk. Thanks for listening. And by the way, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletta.com slash reviews and uh, left a review. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. You are awesome. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Leto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dot Stimoletto. Ken Rusk is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and blue-collar advocate showing that there's no degree required for comfort, peace, and freedom. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now, Ken is a very successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. Ken Russ specializes in mentoring and has coached hundreds of young people in areas such as short, mid, and long-term goal setting, life visualization, career paths, and sound financial planning. He is passionate about helping people achieve their dreams regardless of their educational background or past. We talked last on November 30th, 2021. That was episode 433. It's going to be great to catch up with Ken. His book fits so well with today. Uh, you're going to see that he was, I think he was telling the future of Way back when, he was talking the truth there. We, we're focused on Ken's book, Blue Collar Cash, Love Your Work, Secure Your Future, and Find Happiness for Life. Ken, thanks for talking with me. It's great to catch up with you. Say hi to everyone. Thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it's, it's great to talk to you again. Well, great to talk with you, too. And, uh, uh, you know, we last talked in the fall of 2021. So much has happened since then. Uh, the, the title of your book is Blue Collar Cash, Love Your Work, Secure Your Future, and Find Happiness for Life. Could you start us off with explaining a little about what the term blue collar means? Well, in, in actual sense, you know, way back in the days when you had uh, different classes of people or different um, paths that people took, and I'm talking about back in the 17, 1800s, so if you were a very highly educated person, you would typically have a very nice suit. You'd walk around town in one of those detachable white collars that you could put on multiple different suits, and you were considered a white collar person. Whereas conversely, if you were working to build a bridge or build a street or doing whatever you were doing, you typically wore jean-like material. They call them like dungarees or Levi's back in the day. And um, that was blue. So the two were pretty you know, it was, it was pretty obvious you were a blue collar guy or, or a white collar guy. So, but, but even, even beyond that, I, I think the, the issue was there might have been a stigma back then that, you know, if you were not an educated person, you were relegated to doing laborious work. But um, 
that has so changed in the in the in the twenty first, second, third century, as they say. Um, yeah, there, there's there's so many amazing opportunities in the blue collar world today. Some of them even that require some pretty high tech equipment to use and operate and whatnot. And um, so uh, the, the 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 roar of blue collar jobs is alive and well. And um, the supply and demand curve is still supporting people going in that direction. And uh, that's where all the money's going currently. Gotcha. So talk a little bit about why you wrote um, Blue Collar Cash. I mean, what made you say, I'm going to have to write this because this is, I got to tell this story. Well, initially it started off with a letter to my daughter. My daughter got pretty sick uh, when she was 12. And um, I remember just writing down notes to her. It was a pretty scary five years for us. So when she was like, you know, five, 17, 18 years old, I started thinking, okay, what would I tell her as far as living the rest of her life? I mean, what would I tell her that she should be you know, chasing, if not for a better word? And the words comfort, peace, and freedom just kept showing themselves over and over and over to me. And uh, I couldn't get them out of my head. So I figured I was on to at least a concept, right? And then if you pair that up with the fact that I've probably hired in the last 37 years, uh, 2,500 people, and um, I, I've, I've gone through... Uh, almost a involuntary life coach course on, on <laughs> how to coach people into uh, getting their best life for themselves, or at least planning it. So I, I had built a lot of systems here in my office that work and worked well. And people would tell me, you know, you need to get that information beyond the four walls of your company. So I literally just started interviewing friends of mine who were blue, uh, blue collar success stories, many who, who overcame the most unbelievable circumstances to become successful people. And uh, at one point I had 70,000 words and, and and it kind of took off from there. I never thought the book would go 10 feet, much less 10 miles. It's gone. And um, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. It became a bestseller last fall and uh, it's just been, been going, going crazy ever since. Well, it's an awesome book. It's easy to, easy to read, easy to understand the concepts and uh, you do a great, a great job of creating those images uh, of what you're referring to. So, you know, it's a, uh, uh, in recent years, it's becoming a it it had become apparent that uh, we had shortages of skilled tradespeople. I mean, let's talk about what skilled tradespeople refers to and what you think has contributed to those shortages. Well, first off, it's kind of a triple-edged sword. I know you can't really say that, but if you if you think about it this way, so high schools began about twenty five years ago eliminating shop class from their from their their curriculums. And, you know, Steve, you, you could literally walk down the hallway in my high school and you could see someone changing a transmission on an old Mustang, or you could see someone milling a table or a leg for a table on a wood lathe or welding pieces and parts together, wiring an outlet, or even doing someone's hair or nails or cooking. And um, that's where people accidentally discovered at a young age how cool the trades were and how it fit them, you know, personally and particularly. So you eliminated that those classrooms and filled them with computers. We had to learn computers, obviously, but why did it have to be one or the other, right? So you eliminated millions of kids from discovering the, those possibilities. And then, you know, you, you put people in a position where when I was younger, you know, we used to run around the backyard and find lumber and nails and <laughs> tools, and we'd go out and build tree forts and right. use shovels and rakes and hoes and everything, right? And um, you built things, you fixed things, you maintained things, you you wrecked things, and you started over. And um, 
now people are trying to build that stuff on Minecraft on their cell phone. I mean, Minecraft's a cool game, but it does not replace going out and working with your hands. So you've got millions of kids now that are kind of like staring at screens instead of going out and doing things. And, um, and then finally the colleges, man, they are really good at shaming parents and guidance counselors and teachers into saying, if you don't come to us, you will never amount to anything, which literally has never been true. Um, isn't true now and um, won't be true going forward. So it was kind of a, a perfect storm of, of attack against, um, skilled trades, which is, I, I hope is starting to turn because people have realized, man, I got this expensive degree in, you know, liberal arts, you know, European language translation that I am never going to use. And um, I need to go out and make money. And that that's one of the ways that they're doing it. That's awesome. I mean, <laughs> you're so right about that. Because when I was in high school, the same thing where you could walk down, I went to two different high schools and one of them was on the, uh, uh, intercoastal waterway in Florida. And what was really cool about that, it actually had tributaries off the river that came up to the backyard. Um, nice. And, uh, and as a result of that, they had a, um, they not only had automotive shop, they also had Marine shop and Marine shop was uh, uh, where they worked on these big boats. They worked on small fishing boats, but they also worked on the, on the boat engines of some pretty good sized boats. And you knew when they nice. started up those engines, wow, you know, it's like, wow. And, you know, that was a cool, cool aspect. And I got a lot of people interested in, uh, a lot of uh, my friends I had get interested in uh, working on um, boats and ships that way. And then when I left there, I went to a school where they also had auto shop. They didn't have the marine stuff. But they had a, in that, the other one I went to, though, they had a partnership with an airport. And uh, they created internships in mechanics on uh, the small planes. And, you know, so much there, and there was other stuff like carpentry, and uh, there were uh, you know the wood shop, and the um, sure. there's one shop where they learned how to use metal lathes and stuff like this to to trim metal and all that. It's, it's so uh, oh, how could I forget the welding shop? Um, right. And and so much of that is just a whole bunch of years ago went away, and it's like and those you could find those rooms on the traditional campus. You can go on some of those campuses and find the rooms, but they no longer have that. They now have you know something else that uh, just doesn't fit in the big, big room that they used to have for whatever was going on in there. Yeah. And I, I don't understand who, you know, who the, the smart people, I say that in jest were <laughs> who decided to take all those things away. I mean, did they think we were going to stop building, fixing, maintaining, repairing, and creating things? Did they just think that those people were going to go away? I mean, there's 167 million people in the U.S. today considered full unemployment, okay? According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and I looked through this several times, about 77 or 78 million of those people still do something with their hands. So where do they come from now? I mean, wh where are we going to find these people now? So, again, it, it was very short-sighted on whoever's decision it was to start eliminating those things. It was very profitable for the colleges whose costs have gone up, what, five or ten times the cost of inflation or yeah, more? Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and you ask them why, and they can't really give you an answer as to why. Uh, but they're taking advantage of supply and demand because they created the demand, okay, and they have their supply. So I'm not anti-college because if you're, <laughs> you're going to operate on my shoulder so I can get back out on the golf course, you better need you. You better know everything about a knife before you come at me with it. I, I totally understand that. And the same goes with being a teacher, or you know, obviously a doctor, or a nurse, or an architect, or an engineer, or whatever. 
But these colleges are overselling themselves on these bland business degrees where the kids are spending four years doing nothing more than learning how to play beer pong. And they come out with this giant debt. And where's the colleges to help them after that? They are nowhere to be found. Okay. They took your money. Thank you very much. See you later. And um, I I hope that starts to turn because they've been taking advantage for a very long period of time. And I hope that that starts to turn again. College is great for a purpose, a design. You know, I want to go for this specific course to take this specific degree to get this specific job that's waiting for me on the other side. But if you're just going for four more years of basically high school, there's a whole lot of better ways to make money without having to pay for it. Oh, you got that right. You got that right. You know, it, since the last time we talked, uh, you know, the big resignation or big quit, whatever you want to call it, happened. And uh, what has this done to our workforce? What do you think? Well, part of me says that's kind of a trend. Part of me says that's one of these things that's just going to pass, you know, like some kind of a fad. You know, I I experienced that even with my own company for a little bit. It's, it is it is starting to turn around again. I, I think people are beginning to understand that, you know, while we don't live to work, we work so that we can live, but there's still this sense of, I need to contribute to society in some way. I can't just not do anything and hang out and expect society to take care of me because they learn that very quickly, those systems and support systems or whatever are not ample enough to live a really decent life. You know what I mean? I mean, I know in some Uh places in California, you can make a lot of money by sitting on the, on, on the street and doing nothing. But it, for the most part, people, I think people realize that we we do need to contribute in some way. They, They may be, a little more specific on how they do that or, or in what, sh- in what shape or what form that they pick. But um, I'm still of the same mindset I was when I talked to you last time, Steven, it, it was, I look at it this way. I don't think sometimes it's in, as important what you do for a living as it is what you do with what you do for a living. You go. And um, as long as you're living well, I think that's the ultimate prize. And um, there's a lot of ways to get to that place. That's so, you know, it's, uh, it really is. I, I, you know, one of the things that I, as I see people, you know, I mean, cause there for a while there, you, you had a hard time trying to go to a restaurant or get your car fixed or something because, you know, I mean, I had a friend who had a the car was totaled, um, because of an accident and it took, uh, about six months to get the car re-put back together again. And, uh, it, <laughs> you know, that, and it all had to do with everything from parts not being available to the, sure. the, the people to work on it. Some of them kept coming and going type thing. And, you know, and it was like, wow, I hope we get out of this soon because this is nonsense. And, you know, and it, we had, you know, any number of other things happen along the way with that. And it's like, uh, you know, um, some of it was people pursuing, you know, the, the, they paid a lot of attention to what's going on in social media. And, yes, granted, there are some people who've made um, pretty good money out of uh filming their family all day long, 24 hours right. and stuff like that, you know, but at the same time, it turns out that not everybody can find, find that little, uh, you know, shock of lightning or something like that. And, uh, there is work that goes into some of those productions and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's, so we've suddenly started seeing people have some realization. So I, I'm hoping it's a, it's just something that happened for a little bit. And we, we kind of get out of that mode because that's a, it, it was bad enough that we didn't have, we were starting to lose truck drivers and, and welders and uh, emergency um, 
technicians like uh, um, EMTs and such like that, and then suddenly we're well, not yeah, going to be able to operate. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how that. I mean. It, again, it's 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 cyclical. It's simple supply and demand. The the only thing I will tell you is this: if we don't put shop class back in high schools and and we continue to allow kids to stare at screens all day, um, we're we're always going to have somewhat of a shortage of people going into the skilled trades. That's that's not going to change for the foreseeable future. I think people have college's number right now. They, they're like, hey man, I get it. You know, I, you see a lot of books about how college is a scam and all this other kind of stuff. And I think some colleges are starting to realize, you know what, we've been pulling the wool over these people's eyes for a long period of time. And now we're going to now it's going to come back at us. And so in, in some cases, I don't I think that's starting to change, uh, especially since you can go get hired into Apple computer right now without a college degree. Nice. I mean, 50 percent of the people they hired two years ago had no degrees. So. And people, companies would rather train you specifically how they want you to work than have to undo some of the stuff you learned in college, especially some of this crazy thought process that people have. But yeah, I, I think, I definitely think we're, 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 we're going to head in the right direction there, especially when this happens. Um, you went to college and your wife went to college and you're both in your house and you're paying off 200 grand in college debt and your neighbor has a brand new $82,000 pickup truck. He's got a pool in the backyard. He goes on vacations all the time. He's got a tan because he's working outside because he owns his own plumbing shop with six employees, right? Right, right. So they're going to go, hey, wait a minute, man. I mean, how did that work? I thought <laughs> I was supposed to be the rich guy, right? <laughs> so I see a lot of that start to happen right now, too. And and kids are finding that, that maybe they got a little hoodwinked in some of that stuff. So, yeah, it. I, I think if I could speak to anybody and I, I wrote an open letter to parents uh, a while ago, Steve, and I, I said, I get it. I'm a parent. I understand, you know, you birthed your child, you fed your child, you clothed your child, you sheltered your child, you protected them. You taught them what you could teach them. You sent them to school. And now somehow you think the only way you're going to be a successful parent is if you can brag about the fact that your kid has a college degree. Right. Right. Wrong. Completely wrong. <laughs> and I, I, my contention is, would you rather have that scenario or would you rather have a well-adjusted, do-for-himself, you know, self-sufficient, uh, financially independent, um, responsible, problem-solving person that creates a really great life for themselves? And I'm not saying they're mutually exclusive. You could do that with a college degree as well. But I think your first goal is to make sure that your your child can rock in this crazy world we live in, right? Your, your second goal should be, well, how are they doing that? So, you know, having the college degree doesn't make you a great parent. It does not. Having a well-adjusted kid, that makes you a great parent. So, and, and again, you can achieve both of those, um, one through school and one through not. And, and uh, you know, we're seeing that start to happen now. Oh, so much so. I, you know, it, one of the things that's uh, it's interesting here is that, uh, you know, when you, well, one of the things, there's a lot here. The, uh, you know, because as a, uh, when you start thinking about uh, possibly starting your own business or or uh, going into work for yourselves, I mean, I, when, it, when I was, <laughs> say the magic words here, when I was in college, I had a job with a, a plumbing supply warehouse. And uh, what they, what they did was they supplied all the, uh, 
everything from the water closets to the showers to the 20-foot-long PVC pipe, whatever it was, all the parts and pieces that the plumbers needed. And they were, even though they did uh, residentials, homes, they also did big apartment complexes, stuff like that. And uh, what was interesting was I got to know a lot of plumbers, um, especially the plumber, uh, um, different plumber companies that were just like what you're just describing a minute ago. You know, yet um, they started from uh, one guy who had been a plumber and uh, um, he decided I want to start my own. And so he broke off from, you know, literally in in Jacksonville, Florida, there are a couple of uh, plumbers that they you can trace back all these other plumbers from these two or three (laughs) gentlemen from a long time ago. And it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. And, uh, but one of the things I noticed was that you had some who they knew, what they wanted to do and they, and they started going that way. And then a bunch of years later, they've opened their own shop, hired their own plumbers and have become successful. And then there are others that um, they were spending their money in, uh, you know, adult beverages um, quite a bit of the time. And, uh, you know, on the weekends and it'd be gone. You know, there was a nice little cruise ship that went off the coast of Florida and you could go gamble all you wanted to. Now today you can gamble off your phone, but you know, it was, it was one of those things that uh, um, you saw the difference between them. You know, one of the things you talk about is uh, in setting a career path and so forth is setting goals. Can you talk about the importance of goal setting and understanding that? Well, first off, I, I think people need to start, and and you, you have to start somewhere. So you and I will start today. I think people have to start dropping the word goal because it's a, it's it's a, it's just such a vague term. I mean, starting with a goal in the football field or a goal in the soccer field or a goal in the hockey rink or a goal here. It's one of the most overused words in the English language, right? Oh, yeah. So I, I always like to change the word goal to path, okay? I have a path towards getting this, okay? I have a path towards getting that. And the reason I say that is because, you know, a lot of people will have goals that they – justify by saying this, someday I'm going to do that. So I have a goal. Well, no, you don't. You have a hope, a wish, or a dream, but you don't necessarily have a hard and fast goal, right? So I like to get goals where they're actually actionable, okay? So if you're going to set a goal in our organization, we do this all the time and we post them everywhere. You not only have to identify that goal crystal clearly, but you have to tell us why you want that goal. Why do you want to hit that goal? You have to convince yourself and us that that's a worthy endeavor, right? Then you have to take that goal and you have to divide it up into uh, small achievable pieces. Like I want to visit my aunt that I've never met in Ireland and it's going to cost me $2,000. Okay. So that's going to, I mean, I need to save 40 bucks a week for 52 weeks. And then a year from now, I'm going to go. And then you have to have a start and an end date. And then you need to take that path and you need to action it by going to your payroll clerk and saying, I want you to start taking 40 bucks a week out of my paycheck and hide it where I can't see it. A year from now, I'm going to go to this place and visit my aunt. And then you share that goal with everybody else in the building or as many people as you wish, or maybe even you don't share it, but somebody knows you're doing it. You have to share it with somebody because you and I both know that if you're going to the gym in the morning by yourself, that's one thing. If you're going to into the gym to meet somebody else at a specific time, you're going to probably go a lot more often. Right. And, um, 
you probably would never have jumped off the high dive at your public pool if it weren't for your friends goading you on to do that, right? <laughs> you got so that right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those things where that is a real goal to me. That is an actionable path. So if, if someone out there is listening and they're thinking they have goals, I want you to change that word to actionable path and then tell me what it is. Because I can tell you most goals when they're presented fail that test because they aren't perfectly designed well enough. And then what happens is they remain in wish land or dream land or hope land. And that's a place where goals go to die. <laughs> I mean, it really is. So if you want to have an effective goal, you need to do all those things. And the other thing I left out was num the, the very first thing you need to do is congratulate yourself by saying, okay, I am now a different thinker. I'm now a person that's going to action my goals, action my paths, rather than just think about them. So you do need to congratulate yourself because just like a smoker who one day wakes up and says, you know what? I'm not a smoker anymore. I don't identify as a smoker. I'm not going to be a smoker anymore. And then they are successful because they changed their whole DNA. So, yeah, I think that's the best way to set a goal. And that's certainly how we all we do it here. That's awesome. Because this is going to lead me to, we're going we're to come back to this whole thing about uh, creating this career path. But one of the things that we've talked a little bit about is um, classes that used to exist that encourage you know, going into these uh, different fields, these blue collar fields. And, uh, and I've started a comeback over the years. There's, there's some different ones out there and, uh, um, which is really cool. Um, but I was wondering if you had ideas of some other thoughts, um, that might go along with, uh, those classes for high school to offer that might encourage, you know, the idea of going into, uh, you know, creating your own company, creating, uh, you know, following a career path that's, uh, along that blue collar path. Well, the first thing I think that high schools could do a, a much better job of is teaching people how to think about what their life could look like. I mean, they teach a whole lot of if then. Well, junior, if you go to high school and if you get good grades, then maybe you'll get a scholarship. And if you get a scholarship, then you can go to college. And if you go to college and you pass, then you can get a degree. And then if you get a degree, well, then you can start living your life because you'll have a job that pays you well. That is so ass backwards, okay? Nowhere else in life do you begin by thinking, maybe someday I'll have an end that I don't even know what it is, okay? Nowhere else in life do you do that. So why are they asking you to do it there? My contention is, I'd like to know what your version of what your best lived like, best lived life could look like right now. I want to know what your favorite house might look like. I want to know what your favorite mode of transportation might look like. I want to know what your favorite pet might look like. A dog, a cat, which color, what would you name it? I want to know what your vacations would look like if you had free time. I want to know if you had extra money, how you would donate it. What charity would you give it to? What's your sport hobby? What's your sport look like? What's your hobby look like? I want you to draw all those things out as soon as you possibly can. And people say, well, 18-year-olds don't know how to do that. Baloney. They all know what their favorite color is. They all know what their favorite movie is. They know what their favorite pastime is. You can, if you dig into what they're thinking, you, you can get them to, to, to figure out exactly what they want their life to look like. And, and it can change and alter, and, but at least they have a path. At least they have a, a course to say, well, man, if I could live like that, Steve, that would be really cool, okay? That would be my nirvana, my comfort, peace, and freedom. So that's the first thing that they could do is, 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 is to show people that 
you know, we don't live to work. We work so that we can live. Let's figure out what living looks like to you. And then let's figure out one of the many paths that we can take to get there because then it'll open up their mind to, oh, so you mean I have options. I don't have to follow the crowd and just go right to, you know, Degreeville, okay? I have options here. There's ways for me to get to that place that aren't that specific direction, that societal norm that everyone shames me into doing. And, and I think that's the beautiful part of the beginning of this is, is that allow people to say, man, there's many paths I can take to this thing. Once I know what the thing is, by the way. And I think that's, that's a great first step. That's awesome. I, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, it, it just always, I guess how, how, uh, how directive or whatever guidance you get from family is a, is a first place where some of the, this influence come from because you know my my parents never went to a four year school they they picked up classes here and there I had my mom was an RN and uh, um, but she not pursued it past that anything after that she got licenses and so forth and and um, my dad the same way licenses to do this and to do that there were many different things and uh, but the my point is is that one of the things though that they had the mindset of was that I would go to college. And, uh, you know, that, uh, I would go to college and I would do, um, something that, uh, would, uh, be different than the path that they had had. And, and I, and I think, uh, I think one of the things that you're talking now, not that there's anything wrong with what, how my parents guided me. That's, <laughs> that's not my point. My point is, is that, um, I think sometimes having a class or two for parents as well <laughs> to, to, to talk about other opportunities, because obviously my parents came out of the uh, you know the the World War II um, generation where they're trying to figure out that uh, there's a better path um, than uh, ha- you know that there could be something else and the college was that thing. Um, yeah, to that you're, path. you're exactly right, and, and I think that's you you hit on the most important point in this whole thing. So you had people back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s and 50s who they they did a fair amount of suffering. Okay, so you know. There was a definite, bright, clear line between blue collar and white collar back then. I mean, it was, it was a level of income disparity and in everything, right? So, for people who came from other countries who immigrated here, or for people who worked in, you know, sweatshops or or they worked in, I mean, they ground the life out, and they had a lot of kid, a lot of kids, and they were like, okay, I don't want this type of suffering to go on for my children, so I'm gonna try best as I can to get them into college so that they can live that different life. Well, really, they didn't want them to go to college just so they could say they wanted, they went to college. They wanted them to get a better paying job that had, you know, more income and, and they would live better than they did. Well, you got to wipe that all away because it's not like we've had that suffering in the last 10, 20 or 30 years. Blue collar jobs are just as viable and just as financially rewarding as white collar jobs are. So you don't have that, that motivation of, Oh my God, I suffered my whole life bringing you, raising you. So I want you to have a better life than I did wrong. All these lives are good. I mean, if you have carpenters out there today, making a hundred, 120, 150,000 plumbers, welders. And I know these people, they're not all 50, 60. They're young people that are doing this. Okay. Pipe fitters. I interview them all the time. These people are making enormous sums of money, and they also enjoy something else. They enjoy the stand-back moment where 
they control their input. They control their output, the quality of that output. They control their day, their time, their schedule. They control their financial gain. So you can't get that in, on the 15th floor in some cubicle somewhere where you're doing some job that you don't even know how you fit into the world, right? So yeah, the, the, you, you hit it right on the head, Steve. The motivation for sending your kids to college has changed dramatically. But yet the mindset is, I have to do it or else I'm a failing parent. Ridiculous. So if I could, I, I get a Super Bowl stadium full of parents and just say, hey, don't think you have to do this to be a good parent. It's not true. I would much rather you have a kid that's, again, stable, um, financially set, able to solve problems, able to critically think, able to um, fix things, repair things, do things around the house on their own, and, um, and then find one of those paths to make a really great life for themselves. Love it. Uh, awesome stuff. All right. All right. So let's talk just a, a minute about, uh, could you talk about building your own company? I mean, what sort of commitment do you have to have? And, and, and in there, can you talk about, cause you get into this in your book, a little bit about resilience and persistence. Yeah. So I, I learned a long time ago and now everyone should know that I, 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 I never spent more than a couple of weeks in college and knew it wasn't for me. So, um, but what I will say is this, I think once you know what you want your life to look like, and once you draw that and, and you hang it up on the wall somewhere where you can see it at least once or twice a day, I think what happens is all those characteristics of entrepreneurship, they're in every one of us. I mean, you could never come to me and say, oh, Ken, you're lucky you're one of those entrepreneur guys. First thing I would say is, here's a crayon and some paper, draw entrepreneur for me, okay? Well, they can't because it's a vague term. What, what entrepreneurship is, is a collection of characteristics, okay? Persistence, resilience, initiative, faith, vision, courage, okay? Humility, uh, generosity. These characteristics are in every one of us. I mean, if I sat you down and said, look it, I'm going to give you a free vacation in spring break next year. All you have to do is design it. Man, you watch all the entrepreneur characteristics come out of you right now, right? Vision and all the things that you want to do, initiative. You're gonna get you're gonna get busy doing this, right? Yes. So the same thing holds true. If you have a path of what you want your life to look like and it's clear and you own it and you love it, and you think, man, if I could live like that, that'd be really cool. All those characteristics get born in every one of us. They might be lying in wait. They might be in the back of your closet, you know, behind the shoes you haven't worn in a while. But when you have a reason to, for them to come out, they definitely do. And I'll tell you, there, there's another there's another level to this because I will agree that not everyone has the risk tolerance that I have to go out and buy 40 dump trucks, okay, and to have 200 employees and, you know, the whole thing with workers' comp and employee relations and, you know, payroll and taxes and all that stuff. I get that. But what I will say is I have also, and I made this a point to do this, I have surrounded myself with a group of intrapreneurs, I-N-T-R-A. And these people, I allow them the, the total autonomy to run their departments as they see fit from a budgetary standpoint, from a hiring standpoint, from a, a lead generation and effectiveness standpoint, revenue standpoint, all these things. So they actually live their life working for themselves with and through my company. They work for themselves first and for me second. But guess what happens? 
as they as their departments thrive, the whole company thrives, including me, right? So be ready, be be aware and be open to the fact that even if you don't want to own your own company, you can still feel like you do by presenting yourself as an entrepreneur to whatever company that you get involved in. And oh, by the way, you start talking like that to your potential boss, he, he or she is going to love you forever. <laughs> You're not going anywhere because it's so rare to have somebody say, hey, you know what? I think I want to kind of run my own show, but I want to do it for you because I'm not ready to take that huge step on my own. Maybe I'll never be. I like the security of having other people within within around me. But at the same time, I want to kick ass too. So let me do this for you and let's work together. I'm hiring you all day long. Okay. I'm, I'm cloning you if I can. So yeah, I, I think that's the thing that people need to realize is there is so much so much great control in either one of those scenarios. And I believe living a balanced life means that, you know, you put your work where your work is and then you put the rest of your life where that is. And and you kind of fill all those buckets evenly at the same time. That's awesome. That's, you know, there's so much, when you, when you think about the thoughts behind and uh, even just getting started, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, you know, where do I start? You know, it's like, what do I do? I, I've got these thoughts, but how do I put them down on paper? What? How do I make this become reality, whatever this is? I mean, any thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, again, if you read my book, if you read the chapter on how to build a skyscraper, okay, there's a specific chapter in there where I say, okay, I've never built a skyscraper before, but if I had, I suppose the first thing I would have done is gone out and buy a piece of land. Okay. I've never built a skyscraper before, but if I had, I suppose the next thing I would have done is I would have gotten an architect to design a building for me. I've never built it before, but if I had, I probably would then choose a contractor to help me build this thing. And then I would look for, I guess, suppliers and excavators and, you know, materials. And then I would look for, you know, designers and interiors and colors. And I I would keep going and I would keep asking myself that question. I'd be looking for electricians and plumbers and masons and, the more you ask yourself the question, by the time you get to the 10th time you've asked yourself that, you've already built the damn thing. I mean, you've already actually done it in your mind. And I learned this technique from being sent out across the country to open up uh, franchised versions of the company that I have today when I was younger. They would send me to Chicago and they'd say, we want an office in Chicago. And I'd say, okay, where do you, uh, we don't know. Just go out there and open one. So I literally had to go to Chicago and find a spot. I mean, all I had was the owner who wanted to invest in this thing. And um, we built it from scratch and we did it over and over and over. And I learned real quick that, well, I know what the end looks like. I know what this operating business looks like because I spent a lot of time in it when I was in in my high school years. So I need to just kind of emulate that. So let's begin with that vision and work backwards to now. I got to find a building. I have to find a contractor to build the walls. I have to draw the walls so I know which who's going to be sitting in which offices. I need to buy office furniture. I need to get a, a, a telephone system. Okay. I need to get the electricity and lights. And 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 pretty soon you you just built the office. There it was. So and, and oh by the way, I did that back when we were still using craft paper and pencils to do accounting, right? Nice. Now with a cell phone and a pickup truck, you can have a business in a half an hour. Because you can do payroll on that thing, you can order things, you can do accounts receivable, everything on there. 
So it's never been easier to open a, open your own business. And um, I encourage everyone to, to at least give it a shot. And if not, to at least present yourself as an entrepreneur, as an alternative. I love that. That's that's so awesome. And especially you can put that technology to work today. It's just it is just amazing how quickly you can have that uh, what used to be a shingle on the <laughs> over the door your mobile shingle here. So I love it's it. It's so funny. I, it's so funny because I was on a, a show yesterday and they used that same analogy, hanging the shingle out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, got connected thoughts here. We had, there you go. Um, all right. So I got to get something else you talk about in your book that I got to get you to talk about is the, the Someday-ers Club because you, you match that up with another chapter but the, or another segment of that chapter. But this what talk about the Someday-ers Club. Well, yeah, you know, I, so I'm a golfer and I belong to a country club. So what, what I was, what I was kind of making an, an analogy to was let's assume you have two clubs and one's called the someday's country club and one's called the two dares country club. And you don't know which one you want to join. Okay. You go into the someday's club and the parking lot is full. I mean, there's hundreds of cars and there's so many people in this place. You walk inside, and, and there's a lot of people. They shake your hand. They're happy to see you. They can't wait for you to come in. They almost cling on to you as soon as you get there. And all you hear inside is, yeah, someday I'm going to do this, and someday I'm going to do that. You know what? Let's gather and have lunch someday. Or, you know, we should start that business someday. Or let's go do this, or let's go do that. But nothing ever actions. Nothing ever happens. You see people talking about it, wishing and hoping and dreaming about it. And everyone's positive and walking around in this La La Land, but nothing ever actually gets done. So then you want to leave that place because you want to go towards the two dares club. And on your way out the, out the door, these people are grabbing you by the collar going, wait a minute, you can't leave us. We need you. We need a bunch more like you who never get anything done, but just stand around talking about it to make ourselves feel better. You can't go over to the two dares club and actually get something done. That's not what we're all about. Okay. So you force your way out of that club and you go into the two dares club. There's a lot less cars in the parking lot, right? But when you walk in, you're greeted the same, just like you did the other one. But here's what you're hearing. I started my 401k six months ago and I already have $10,000 in it. Okay. Hey, do you want to go to lunch? Yeah, let's do that tomorrow. Uh, we'll go to that pizza place on the corner at two o'clock. Great. I'll see you then. Or... Uh, I, I want to learn another language, so I'm taking a class. It starts in three weeks. Or I, I planned my vacation uh, for two years from now. I'm going to Scotland to play golf. Or you see what I'm saying? All you hear yes. about is the things that are action, things that are actually being done, taking place. There are things that are working. And there's people showing pictures and memories of the things that they've already done. Okay? Not that hope the things that they hope to do someday. So... Yeah, which club would you rather belong to, right? And um, I just, I, I was so tired of, of, of hearing people say, yeah, you know what, someday I'm going to make that happen because someday never comes. <laughs> right. I mean, just, just by the definition of the word, someday, like what does that even mean? Someday, a day in the future at some point, right? It, it's, it's just, a, it, it's not the best way to live. Now, it doesn't mean you can't, dream about things but if dreams aren't eventually forged into a path it's my opinion they're kind of a waste of emotion i mean there's so many other other ways that you can get to what you want done just by taking that very first step and and steve sometimes the very first step is the hardest one <laughs> because the other 48 or 52 remaining steps behind it 
they just fall right into place once you get that first foot down. And uh, so, yeah, I, I thought I'd put a, a neat spin on, you know, doing something today versus doing something someday. Oh, I love that. And I love this, the way you talk about it because it, it works so well. And, uh, you know, it's funny because going back to something you said earlier in the, in the, uh, when we were talking, when you're talking about uh, your friends encouraged you to go off that high dive, you know, because that in a, in a lot of ways, that's what it's going to feel like is, uh, you know, if, if it, <laughs> how far is the drop when I go? You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember it was, um, it was a place called Fell Lake. I remember this pool when I was, I mean, it's gone now, but I remember this place when I was probably six or seven years old. And I remember being weightless for what seemed like an eternity as I jumped <laughs> off the end of that board. But um, when I hit that water, I came out of the water and all my friends were cheering and I was like, holy cow, you know, I, I don't know if I would have done it without those guys. So yeah, that's the importance of sharing your goals. That's for sure. So much so, so much. I, uh, we're getting close to finishing up. Before we before we get there, though, uh, could you, you know, you can't turn, turn on a uh, podcast, you can't turn on the radio, you can't, you know, anything you listen to right now, just about, is commenting about this, and one side might be calling it evil, and one side might be calling it the best solution to everything, but AI is out there, and autonomous vehicles, and other technology that's that's coming up, What what do you think the impact is going to? Do you see some impact on blue collar careers here and stuff like that? What thoughts do you have? Actually, it, it, what I'm seeing happening is exactly the opposite. People that are in thought process minded careers are the ones that are getting bounced because they can get their answers. I mean, it's like Google on steroids, right? Yeah. Not only do you get the information, but they do the work for you, right? Yes, yes. So, I mean, when I saw that podcast between Joe Rogan and one of his guests, and it was 100% completely made up by AI, their voices, the questions and everything, and it went on for an hour, wow. that scared the hell out of me. I mean, it blew my mind. But I can tell you this, there ain't no way an AI is going to, you know, cart a pine tree up to your sidewalk and plant <laughs> it in the ground, okay, right. or, or, or spread mulch or even put makeup on you or do your hair or you know, work you out in a gym or any of that stuff. AI is only going to enhance. I, I gave you this, I give this example. Okay. So you can take AI and put it on the blade of a bulldozer so that you can get the parking lot up flatter in a lot quicker amount of time. Right. Right. Or you can use AI to help you figure out where to water the golf course that needs it the most and where not. But you're not eliminating watering the golf course. You're not eliminating the people that do that. So, yeah, I think AI is, I think you're in trouble if you do a lot of very thought-minded stuff. Um, but uh, if you're out there grinding out a living, I, I think you're going to be in, in, in good position. If nothing else, it'll help you do it. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, uh, Ken, if, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and or learn more, where would you send them? Well, one of the things I did was um, – you know, when, whenever you write a book, you want people to read it, but more than you want them to read it, you want them to feel something, change something, do something. You want them to go from the some dares club to the two dares club, right? So I decided to build a course that um, that creates that. I, I built this course over the last year, and I, you, you don't know about it yet, but um, it's literally eight 45-minute sessions. It's called The Path to a Successful Life, and... Um, it's real simple because what it does is it takes the book and forces you to become a two-dayer. Like you will instantly change your thinking and your life after the very first chapter. 
and um, or the very first module, I should say. And uh, you can find that it's it's literally the cost of a dinner and a movie. It's 129 bucks, but you get a free $25 copy of my book with it. And just so you know, this is not a money making thing for me. I I've seen courses for seven, eight hundred dollars, two, three thousand dollars. No, I can change your life for a hundred bucks, and um, I, I guarantee you it'll have an effect on how you think. And I tend to donate most of my money to charity anyway, so. Um, this is a cathartic thing for me. It's a way to give back. It's a way to cut the learning curve for entrepreneurs that are following behind me. And uh, I encourage everyone to go check it out at KenRusk.com. And um, you can also go to at KenRuskOfficial to see what we're up to on all of our socials. So Awesome. I will have that information on the show notes page, so it's easy for them to get to. And uh, um, the path to a successful life, that course, is uh, is it a separate page in your web? Web page? Yeah, you'll see when you go to the KenRucks.com, R-U-S-K, you'll see book at the top and you'll see course at the top. If you, you don't have to buy them separately because if you hit the course, you'll get a book automatically. Um, and uh, again, uh, I love it. I love to hear people's feedback and uh, I guarantee it'll change your life. That's for sure. Uh, so awesome. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for sharing your book, Blue Collar Cash. Love your work, secure your future and find happiness for life. Awesome talk. And it was great reconnecting. So cool. Wishing you the best in all you do. You as well. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.